Football Americas on ESPN Plus is presented uninterrupted by Expedia. Football Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus on Monday, September 25th alongside Hercules Gomez. I am Sevi Salazar alongside Hercules Gomez and the Campeones Cup. Look at that beautiful trophy you got out there. That's right. It's right here next to me. It looks beautiful. Honestly, we had this discussion uh, earlier with a bunch of people here. It's one of the better looking trophies that I've seen in North America in the soccer world. There's some ugly trophies out there. You know who you are. Okay, all right, taking shots at the trophies at the hardware here in North American soccer off the top of this edition of Football Americas, which of course is presented by Expedia. By the way, I will be in studio with you on Wednesday night in the aftermath of Campeones Cup. We will be live on Wednesday, not Thursday this week, following up not just the Campeones Cup final between, of course, LAFC and Tigres, but also the Open Cup final, Herc, between Inter Miami and the Houston Dynamo. We wait and see if Lionel Messi will play in that. But that's for Wednesday night. We got a lot to get to in this edition of the show. Megan Rapino saying her farewell to the U.S. women's national team over the weekend. We had a route hurt in the Clásico Regio. And we got Santi Jimenez literally shutting down the Dutch top flight. But let's start with U.S. men's national team players abroad. An American-inspired run it back from the weekend that was in Europe. We'll start with Ricardo Pepe, who got a goal in his second straight air of his match. Didn't start. The goal came in stoppage time of PSV's 4-0 win over Almere City. Malik Tillman, by the way, in that one, dropped because he overslept. In Spain, Luca de la Torre had an assist as Celta de Vigo lost in heartbreaking fashion 3-2 to Barcelona. In Italy, Yunus Musa and Christian Pulisic got the start for AC Milan in a 1-0 win over Hellas Verona. Musa going the full 90 minutes. And in France, Valerian Balogun missed not one but two penalty kicks as Monaco fell 1-0 to Nice on Friday. All right, Herc, lots of U.S. action in Europe. Who do you think had the best weekend of the Americans abroad? Well, listen, there's a, there's a lot we can go into best weekend if you want to say best weekend, right? Um, Eunice Musa finally played, looked good while playing, albeit in a different position. Luca De La Torre gets an assist with Barcelona, his first of the season. Uh, I believe he only didn't start the first game. He started every other game since, so he's doing well. But I got to go with Ricardo Pepe again. Mm-hmm. Ricardo Pepe, who was backed by Peter Bosch, uh, the manager. We all saw the PK drama with Chucky Lozano. You take it, I take it. No, I am taking this. Uh, backed, backed by the manager. And that's a goal in that game. And then you don't think he's going to play. He comes in, in garbage time. You think it's Luke De Jong. He's the guy that's going to kind of be the mainstay there. The, the tensions on Chucky Lozano. The tensions on Malik Tillman. The tensions on Sergio or Serginho Des, excuse me. And you end up coming on and doing what you do best, scoring. And another substitute appearance role, and you score again. By my estimate, I believe in the last 10 games he's played all substitute roles, and he's scoring goals. That's five uh, for him uh, as a substitute. And he just keeps putting the ball in the back of the net. I don't think anybody, given the time that they had on the field, took advantage of it more than Ricardo Pepe. Yeah, time on the field is key when you're talking about Ricardo Pepe. In league play, he is averaging a goal every 20 Five minutes, incredibly efficient. And then on top of that, Herc, when you factor in that Balogun missed two penalties, and we know that these guys are in a race for the number nine spot, I think you say it's a good weekend for Pepe. I happened to be on the pre- and post-game coverage of the Celta-Barcelona game. I was with Ale Moreno. We were we were covering, and obviously following Luca De La Torre. He had an assist in this game, and he played well. He certainly did. But he had, Herc, a couple chances, and one really golden chance that, that could have helped Celta de Vigo get a big three points there, and they might have been able to hang on against Barcelona. One player who I thought had a very good weekend was Yunus Musa. He got his first start for AC Milan, Herc. That's big. Stefano Pioli, after the match, called him a complete player. Even some folks in the Italian press were giving him some plaudits, so I think a very good moment for him. And he plays in a position that I don't think we necessarily expected, but proving your versatility is good. He played kind of like a right... What do we call it? Right midfield, right, right wing, wing back, back in a 3-4-3 three, three. Three, um, there for Stefano Pioli. So something different for Musa, but uh, certainly a first start at a club like AC Milan, where I always thought it would be tough for him to get starts, uh, is a good sign there. And it's a start in midfield in a win. What about worst weekend, Herc? Because there were some bad performances as well. Who do you think had the worst weekend here? 
Listen, it's tough to say you didn't have the worst weekend when you overslept the team function and you didn't even make the game day <laughs> roster. Like, that's a pretty bad weekend. You didn't mm-hmm. give yourself a chance to be on there to play uh, bad for us to say you had a bad weekend. That's Malik Tillman, by the way. Malik Tillman missed a team function. We're not sure if it was a team meeting, team breakfast, team video session, whatever the case may be. He missed something. He overslept. Nobody woke him up. Our man didn't show up on time and was a, a scratch, a healthy scratch on the game day sheet. But that's not the worst weekend. I could understand that. And don't worry, Malik, it's happened to every footballer at some stage in their life. Mm-hmm. I hope you didn't have a roommate because that would have been pretty bad on the roommate not to give you a shout there. But it's got to be. Unless they're competing for playing time. Oh, come on. Don't go conspiracy <laughs> theory on me. It's happened to every football. Every single footballer I know at some stage in their career has had this happen to them. At some stage. so hey, I, I, I overslept in Qatar. Everybody remembers that one, huh? Yes. You did, you did a lot of things in Qatar and, and in Russia. Uh, it's got to be for Balogun, man. It, listen, you mentioned the race for Ricardo Pepe. Nobody wanted to call it a race. And then I said it's a race. And people are like, what do you mean? It's for Balogun. It's for Balogun. Look what he did last year. Look what he did uh, when, he, when, when he was in the top five, in a top five league, scoring over 20 goals. Big move to Monaco. Coming to the U.S. men's national team. Look how good he is. He's levels above. To some, I still have yet to see the levels above in a U.S. men's national team jersey. Now, that could be circumstantial. That could be where he plays, how he plays, how he's expected to play for Greg Berhalter, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a race, and you mentioned it. A few weeks ago, you said there is no race. It's Farland Balogun. You just said right now there's a race to the nine position, which goes to show you how tight it's gotten. Ricardo Pepe doesn't start. It doesn't matter. He keeps scoring goals. And he slotted his PK last week. And guess who not only missed one PK, but two PKs this week? And Ben Yedder, the the captain, goal scorer of Monaco, doesn't play. You come in his place as the nine after scoring last week, you know, in that substitute appearance to win the game. You come in today and they give you the opportunity and responsibility to take a penalty kick and you miss the first one. But then you have the stones, which I love. I love that Fowler and Balogun had the stones to go up there the second bite, the second go around and say, this is mine, I will take it. But the penalty kick was just as bad as the first. Mm. It was worse. Two penalty kicks. You missed. The game is tied. You come off for the captain. The captain with a little knowing wink and smile like, hey, next time. And your team loses in stoppage time. Monaco, who was league leaders, loses in stoppage time. And what many would say was probably due to Farland Balogun's two missed penalty kicks. I can't think of a worse uh, weekend for, for an American abroad in quite some time. Yeah, we think of Balogun and we think about that number nine race. He also has the reality of just going to a new club on a big money move, beginning of the season. Like, he needs to get off to a good start. Missing two penalties uh, is not that. Not a good day for the Americans at Juventus either. They lost uh, 4-2 to Sassuolo there for Tim Weah and Weston McKinney. There is some good news, though, for fans of the U.S. men's national team, Herc, and it has to do with Gio Reyna, who has yet to play for Borussia Dortmund so far this season. We know he's been dealing with and recovering from an injury, but we have some news on the Greg Berhalter, Gio Reyna saga front. Interestingly enough, uh, it doesn't come from either two protagonists. It comes from Matt Crocker, who of course we know is US Soccer's new sporting director. Here's what he had to say. Quote, of course we've had conversations with Greg. Greg has had conversations with Gio, and we're in a place where as soon as Gio is fit, he'll be in the next camp, and there's a way forward. Hurt, Greg and Gio have finally spoken. Uh, Are you buying that, as Matt Crocker says, there's a way forward now? Not yet. Now listen, Matt Crocker likes to talk a lot. And that's something that we're accustomed to in the U.S. soccer circles, U.S. men's national team circles with Greg Berhalter. They sometimes talk too much, can talk themselves into a corner. Here's something that he said as well uh, in that same little interview, if you will, or same press conference. We've got a way forward, and I just want this, I just want this camp to be over so we can stop talking about it. That's not going to happen. They're not going to just stop talking about it. Why? Because right now, when Gio Reyna and Greg Verhalter get together for Ghana and Germany in this next October camp, it's going to be like, what was the conversation like? And after the camp of what was the conversation like, it's going to be like, well, what was it like to be in camp with Gio? What was it like to be in camp with Greg? And after that happens, it's going to be the elephant in the room, Seb. It's where are you going to put him? Where is he going to fit in your system, Greg? Because Greg Berhalter likes a 4-3-3. Greg Berhalter is an adamant MMA. That is Musa McKinney Adams midfield. 
We saw Gio Reyna over the summer with BJ Callahan as a 10 running the show. He looked good. He looked damn good. So the obvious question is, how do you fit that version of Gio Reyna into a Greg Berhalter system? And we don't know what that will look like. And until that happens, you're going to have more questions and more questions and even more questions. And that's right now that everything is fine. Wait till mm. something goes wrong. Yeah. I guess from my point, just kind of what you said earlier, like why is it Matt Crocker that we're hearing from on this? It should be Greg Berhalter. It should be Gio Reyna. Those are the guys involved. That's who we should be hearing from. Uh, I get it that he wants to come out and kind of put, put this to bed. But the reality is, Herc, it's, it's not going to bed. It's not going to bed because Matt Crocker chose to bring Greg Berhalter back and then gave him the summer off so he wouldn't have to deal with the questions. He wouldn't have to deal with whatever the pressure is of Gold Cup. And we couldn't address this in the first few months of his tenure. So now it's, it's gone on and on and on. Now the injury bug is back with Gio Reyna. And who knows when we're finally going to get to address this. We got to get Matt Crocker on the show because there's other news here as well. I don't know if you saw. It sounds like we're basically done with a general manager position at the U.S. at U.S. soccer. And on top of that, Herc, if you've heard this before from Matt Crocker, we're, we're hearing legacy coaches. So he likes he likes to have coaches now who are basically almost GMs working with him hand in hand. I don't know how I feel like that when national team football is all about results. you got to be able to part ways with your national team manager. And I don't know that that's really something you can do when you're talking about having legacy coaches. Legacy screens multiple cycles. I mean, is two enough? Is he going for more? Like when I think of a legacy <laughs> he coach, wants Hugo Sanchez treatment. Well, that's what I think of when I think of a legacy coach is somebody who has been there for decades worth. That's a legacy mm. coach who's changed the program in a way. So, who knows what we're talking about here with Matt Crocker? But I would love to get him on the show if they would have him. Yeah, I, th I think we would we would have him for sure. Uh, I think uh, we've had some interviews with him in the past. With us, I mean, yes, 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 of course. Um, all right, let's move from the United States to Mexico. We'll run it back El Trista with some. Mexicans doing well in Europe. Santi Jimenez, let's start with him. Two goals and an assist for Feyenoord, who went up 3-0 on Ajax in a game that was eventually... Oh, no, this is Chucky. We're going to start with Chucky, who had a goal against uh, for PSV. Santi then had two goals and an assist uh, in a game that was abandoned due to uh, pyro and fire. Orbelin Pineda with the uh, game-winning goal for IK in a 2-1 win over Panathinaikos. Uh, this was today, so on Monday afternoon, big win there in the Greek League. And we also have a big play from Julian Araujo uh, getting a start for Las Palmas in a 1-0 win over Granada, their first win of the season. Herc, let's go with Santiago Jimenez, who now has eight goals in six league games. Is he too good for the Eredivis? Yeah, he's obviously too good. I mean, he's 22 years old, and he's lighting it up. He lit it up last season when he finally got to play. There was no stopping him. Eredivis, uh, Europa League, he's... Doing it again this season, which begs the question about the level of the Red Divisie. I know we've had this conversation many times before. The question is, not is it, is it too small for him because he's doing well enough where he's scoring goals, a goal every 60 minutes. I think it's obvious that he needs a different challenge, a jump in level. Okay, What that jump in level is, Seb, that remains to be the question. Are we talking about top five league, top caliber A team? The Real Madrid's of the world, the cities mm -hmm. of the world, the, the Barcelona's of the world, the Arsenal's of the world. Are we talking about top five league? Yes, but just a different level. The Sevillas of the world, the Romas of the world, the Brightons of the world. Are You're we putting talking a ceiling about... on my man. You're putting a ceiling on my guy. That's, well, that's what, what we need to talk about when we talk about Santi Jimenez in the Eredivisie or any player, young player in the Eredivisie because <sighs> we've seen players. Chelsea, Arsenal, and Spurs were all there to watch him play this weekend. So that gives you an idea of who's watching yeah, I believe him. it was 90 Minutes.com 90 minutes reporting that, right? A few different people have reported, yes. Oh, yes, okay. but I do so believe it was 90 Minutes a month. That, that's among great. Them. All, all the top teams in, in the world have scouts all over the world watching many different players. What does that say about the Eredivisie? Because we've seen players, many different types of players, that go on and score lots of goals at mm -hmm. that level, and it doesn't translate in some of the better establishments around the world. Uh, I'm looking at the, who was the MVP last year, if you will, uh, in many's eyes of, of the Eredivisie. It was a 34-year-old, excuse me, Dusan Tadic, you know, at Ajax. Um, he had like I mean, Chucky Lozano is a great example of guys whose goals didn't translate to the next level. Chucky Lozano, I mean, even Josie Altidore scored something like 30-something goals, you know, um, yeah. one season in their division. It doesn't mean it translates. That doesn't mean they're not good players. That doesn't mean they can't go on to a better level and do something. But 
we should definitely preach a little bit of calm here because Santi Jimenez, I mean, he's obviously doing well. Can he do well at the next level? That's going to be the important thing and what that next level will be. So I think we saw a goal every 60 minutes. I've got him here for a goal every 55 minutes in league play. 1.63 goals per nine minutes. So more than a goal and a half per 90 minutes. Those are those are dominant statistics, Herc, right? Those are those are proving you're not just competing in a league, you are dominating it. Remember Greg Berhalter at one point talked about when, when we need to know if it's a time for a guy to move on. He can't just be playing in, at a level. He has to be dominating it. There's not probably, I know, I know that PSV is a very good team as well, but Ajax historically, there's not a greater test in Dutch football wow. than going away to Ajax and in 37 minutes hurt. Ajax are 14th in league play right now, I believe. Okay, but but this is Ajax. This is this is an Ajax team that is historically the giant that sold of the Dutch all their assets. Seb, I don't think that's a parameter right now. This is an Ajax I think, team. I think, it's an imp I think it's important. You went to Ajax. You scored two goals and an assist, and you got an assist in half an hour. By the way, the goals, great finishes. The assist, a beautiful, beautiful play. And you shut the stadium down. They were so mad about it. I mean, I don't know what more he can do in league play. What he could do in Champions League play is a different conversation. But in league play, he's not going to prove any more than what he's already done, eight goals in six games so far this year, any more. I mean, he's dominating this league. Okay. Dominating it. He's dominating there. But I just really quick, Ajax is a team that's in flux, in shambles. They just fired their sporting director because of a conflict of interest with, like, deals that he was making, probably taking mm -hmm. the cut in that and whatnot. It had more to do with Ajax, the fans protesting what's going on in that actual situation than Santi Jimenez and the two goals. But I agree with you. Santi Jimenez is killing it, and he needs a change of scenery. Let's see uh, where that change of scenery might end up being. All right, uh, we mentioned Julian Araujo there uh, in the middle of our run it back for Mexican players. He'll be in action on Wednesday right here on ESPN+. Plus. Coverage starts at 1 p.m. Eastern time uh, as Las Palmas take on Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. U.S. Women's National Team taking on South Africa over the weekend at Soldier Field in Chicago. Final game of Megan Rapinoe's historic career. And there you see the fans out showing their love for number 15. Family in attendance as well. What a moment there in the Windy City. 18 minutes into this one, we'll pick up the action. Trinity Rodman finishing off the cross from Alex Morgan. Another Trinity Rodman goal well taken. Good little volley. I mean, it comes in hot. She does really well with it. 49th minute corner kick for Megan Rapino. Going for the Olympic or not quite, but it's headed in by Emily Sonnet. Yeah. Goalkeeper Eric's in a great place. Tough position for the goalkeeper. She'll take that. The U.S. wins by a final score of 2-0 over South Africa. Megan Rapinoe's final game with the U.S. women. Let's get some more post-game reaction from Chicago. I feel like I've been able to grow up in front of all of you. Obviously, um, we're here in Chicago, but there's so many fans um, around the country and around the world. Um, when I think about what it means to me to represent not only this team, 
Um, but our country, it's just that. We're just a little snapshot of all of you. But it's just been my honor to represent you guys, to play for so long, to be so successful. And it's going to be my honor to be an alumni of this team and watch this team continue to be as successful as we have been and even more. Um, and I expect all of the same from you. So thank you so much. And I guess that's it. Love you guys. There it is. Megan Rapino finishes up a 17 career with the U.S. Women's National Team after the game against South Africa. Her feels kind of like the end of an era. What do you think? It does, right? Um, she said something, Megan Rapino. Uh, congratulations on a ridiculous uh, career. Said something very just telling right there and important. I think we should stress on. She's talking about growing up in front of the fans in the States and in the fans of the world. Like what this U.S. Women's National Team meant to so many different people around the world. With this end of an era comes an end of one of the most dominant eras in sports history, Seb. Mm. And Forget about this abysmal World Cup, this last World Cup. Let's go one before that, 2019, okay? When they beat the Netherlands in the final, that World Cup, okay? I'm gonna read off a few names and where they are today. Kelly O'Hara, 35 today. Becky Sauerbrunn, 38 today. Julie Ertz just retired. Tobin Heath, 35. Alex Morgan, 34. Megan Rapino, 38, just retired right now. Uh, the three players who came out as a sub in that game. Carly Lloyd retired. Ali Krieger's 39 years old. Christian Press, 34. It really feels like we went from talking about, are you cool with it, celebrating the 13th goal in a World Cup game, mm -hmm. okay, a routing of a team to, they almost lost to Portugal. They almost didn't make it to the next phase, to the knockout round. We went from talking about the reality is the Americans are the best in the world and revered as the best in the world till, well, now there's a whole generation of players who have never been to that level, who have never gotten to that level. We don't know. It really feels like an end of one of the most dominant sporting eras yeah. uh, of our history. Yeah, if you think about it, too, she debuted with the national team in 2006. That's essentially right at the beginning of the end of the second era, right? Of, of the first era, excuse me, of the U.S. Women's National Team. In the 2004 Olympics, basically, all of your 99ers are retired. Almost all of your 99ers are retired after 04. So she's been around basically since the end of the 99ers era. It really is um, remarkable. As far as end of an era, there's still some, some players hanging on. We don't know what the future holds for, for players like Maybe a Kristen Press, you know, coming back, what that could be. Uh, Kelly O'Hara's one who still seems to maybe have a role with the national team. Becky Sauerbrunn, we saw her uh, at these celebrations, obviously still overcoming the injury that cost her the World Cup. Alex Morgan is probably the last player that'll go that we'll think of as that era. Yeah. And I had thought that maybe her time with the national team might be running out. But in these last two games, you saw her have a really nice chemistry there with Trinity Rodman. So I think Alex Morgan is probably of the players of that era, the one that'll hang around the longest. But Megan Rapino, certainly when you think of 2019, and even if you go back as far as 2011, the iconic cross to Abby Wambach in that game yeah. against Brazil, she is the face of so many. 2015, of not, right? Uh, no, that was, that was 2011. She was on the 2015 World Cup. I'm going back to the 2011 wow. World Cup that they didn't win, the quarterfinal against Brazil, when they're basically out of it. It's almost a Hail Mary cross. Wambach heads it in. Um, these are iconic moments for the U.S. women's national team, and they're clutch moments. And that's always the thing about Megan Rapinoe. We can, we can fawn over her off-the-field legacy, and, and we should, but we should never forget how good of a player she was for the U.S. Uh, and how clutch of a player she was for this U.S. women's national team. A lot of the hardware, a lot of those stars above the crest uh, have something to do with Megan Rapinoe, two-time World Cup champion and, of course, a one-time Olympic champion. We mentioned before we've got La Liga back on uh, your screens this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. Barcelona and Vasco Aguirre's Mallorca playing tomorrow, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure to check that out right here on ESPN+. Plus. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hercules, let's talk some Major League Soccer. Inter-Miami and Orlando playing over the weekend. Uh, no Messi, Alba, or Busquets for Inter-Miami. That didn't stop him from going ahead in the 52nd minute through David Ruiz. Yeah, Ruiz to homegrown, following that shot up. Right, listen, Joseph Martinez loves to do damage against Orlando. Orlando would get their equalizer just about 15 minutes later. Duncan McGuire makes it 1-1. Duncan McGuire continuing that stellar rookie season. Just five hole right there. Not much calendar can do about that one. Game finishes 1-1. Inter-Miami still five points and more importantly, five teams from the Eastern Conference playoff line with five games left in their season. Five games plus the Open Cup, we should note, which of course is Wednesday night at home against Houston. Here's what Tata Martino had to say about Messi's status for the Open Cup final. Quote, it's very difficult to give him a percentage because we have to take it day by day. We'll continue to evaluate him, and as I always say, I will listen to him first and see how he's feeling. Then we'll also need to evaluate future risks. It's not an easy decision, but we're going to take the right amount of time to try to not make a mistake. Herc, how does Inter-Miami play it from here? Can they win the Open Cup without Lionel Messi? They can win it because, I mean, it's at home, and this is a completely different team, completely different Inter-Miami team now than it was before Messi got there. That's a reality. The team that we saw against Cruz Azul in that first half is not the same team we're going to see if Messi's not there against Houston. That said, there are a few teams as hot in Major League Soccer as the Houston Dynamo. I mean, with Ben Olsen uh, and Hector Herrera, who's second in assist in the league, they're a completely different team. They've got players who maybe have a second lease on life like a Corey Barrett playing on a completely different level. It's going to be a very complicated type of game. It's going to be one of those games um, that even with Messi won't be a guarantee. So if you're missing a player like Messi, it's doable, but it's it's one of those where I don't feel too optimistic. Definitely not what the bookies are making it out to be. They got um, Inter-Miami, I think a plus like 170, 175. Maybe to get some inside info. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. Messi, uh, well, I mean, look, it all comes down to who's going to play, right, in terms of your Inter-Miami chances to win here. I, I get the sense, Herc, that he is going to play. Maybe that's just me being kind of an optimistic fan here, of not just Messi, but of the Open Cup. I feel like they would have told us. And if you go back and you look at the video where he comes off, it feels like a guy who says, who didn't get hurt, but knew he might be about to get hurt. I think that's what I saw in Messi when he came off that field. I know you've thought that he's been kind of carrying something and he has looked fatigued throughout different times in this run with Inter-Miami, but I've got to believe that there's levels of risk here. If there's any risk of a serious long-term injury, of course you're not going to play him. It doesn't matter what the competition is, but this is the Open Cup. This is a real trophy. I know everybody loves the League's Cup, but the League's Cup is, is a cash grab. Let's be honest. This is a real trophy with real history. If he's anywhere near good, I think one, Inter-Miami wants him to play. But more importantly, Herc, when has Lionel Messi ever shown us that if he's anywhere near close to game fit that he's not going to play? That is his M.O. if ever there was one. It's funny you, you talk about when has Messi ever showed us. When's the last time you actually brought this stat up? When's the last time he came out, pulled himself out? Was it 2018? I think it was, yeah, it was uh, late 2018 against Sevilla, I think, when he broke his arm. Yeah, yeah, this leads me to believe that he was not only carrying something, but he felt something. He doesn't just pull mm. himself out. Now, listen, there's part of me that thinks, and Messi thinks this, and maybe his camp thinks this, uh, it's a trophy. What's a closer trophy to get to? What's a more realistic trophy? Yeah. The Open Cup or MLS Cup? Well, it's the Open Cup. So if there's any chance that he plays yeah any chance that they can even on the men put him out on the field and they can do something a penalty kick a free kick whatever the case may be he will be there right but the fact that we're even talking about this the fact that he pulled himself out i mean this puts everything in jeopardy not just the open cup final 
but MLS playoffs as well. And I think that's where they're trying to get at. They realize this could be something where he's out, maybe on the men for another week or two, but he doesn't have that luxury. So do you do it with the intention of winning a trophy and get away with it that way? Because if he wins two trophies, if he wins yes. two trophies, who's going to sit here and say, man, I can't believe he got hurt and didn't play MLS Cup playoffs? Who's going to sit well, here and really say that's the thing, say right? It's a, it's, a, it's a huge uphill climb. They're going to need not just for them to be perfect, but for other things to almost perfectly break for them, Herc, for them to get into the playoffs. So if, if you can play him now, even if you were to hurt him and lose whatever percentage chance you have of making MLS Cup playoffs and then whatever beyond that percentage chance there is that you make a run in MLS Cup playoffs and win the whole thing, I think, I think you have to put all your chips into the Open Cup. If he doesn't play another minute in the regular season, to be honest, Herc, who cares if you have two trophies? Nobody. They won't care. Nobody. But I'll tell you what. Nobody. I honestly think, let's say Messi plays and he just takes a penalty kick and he's good with that and he's on the men for another two weeks because that's what it's going to take for that hamstring to heal up if it is the hamstring there, that old scar tissue, whatever the case may be. The way they're at right now, I mean, D.C. United's got no starting goalkeeper. He's out. Tyler Miller's out seasons uh, in an injury. Uh, they're chasing New York, who's got two games uh, more than them. Uh, honestly, Seb, they're at 32 points right now, and New York's at 37 points with two more games. This is doable, especially the way that Miami's kind of changed. Orlando's a team that was trying to fight for that top spot in the East, you know. They're, they took them to, um, to the brink. Sans Messi and some, some other players in Orlando, I don't think you can count out this Inter-Miami team. Can they battle out enough for him to get on the men, for him to do his thing and come back 100% and potentially do something down the stretch in a playoff run? Yes! Is that what they're trying to bank on? I think deep down inside, that's what Tata Martino would like to bank on. Look, if it's one or the other, go all in on the Open Cup. See how long that those muscles last and, and see if he can get you another trophy. Let's get to the rest of Major League Soccer. The good, the bad, and the ugly, Herc, from the weekend that was. We'll start with the good. Atlanta United, 4-1 to one winners over Montreal, capping a 7-point week for Atlanta United. Uh, about 10 days, Herc, after you said their manager was in trouble. Yeah, if they lose, they were in trouble against Inter-Miami. They didn't lose. They smashed Inter-Miami. Another smashing at Montreal. Listen, we know that they're offensively good, especially at home. Yakimaka scored his uh, 15th goal that ties in with Hani Mukhtar and Lucho Costa. Tiago Almada, 10 goals, 16 assists. Brooke Lennon. Brooks Lennon has 10 assists on this team. Listen, Gonzalo Pineda has some weapons at his disposal. Atlanta United right now tied for third in the Eastern Conference after a 4-1 win over Montreal, capping a 10-goal week for Atlanta United. The bad, oh, my beloved DC United, what have you done? You've only wasted a Christian Benteke hat trick. So Christian Benteke scores a hat trick for DC United against the New York Red Bulls. Not only do they not win, they lose 5-3, they blow the lead twice, and they fall out of the playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. Or all, all, by the way, while this happens against your historically biggest rival. That's what I was going to say. That's supposed to be the rival, right? And you know what the worst part is? Only three more games for DC United. No promise of Rooney next year. I already talked about Tyler Miller being done for this year. They're one of the worst defensive teams. They've been scored against 44 times. Winless in the last four. One win in the last seven. But you were telling me that was the team that was supposed to rival Inter Miami for that spot. So, well, I know. Hey, listen, man, it's, it is looking bleak. I, I thought that was the game. I, I thought when you, if you'd have told me that Benteke was going to get a hat trick against the New York Red Bulls, I would have been sure that DC United would get three points. Had they gotten the three points, I'd feel really good about a black and red playoff spot as it is right now. I don't. But by the way, it's not like Inter-Miami is right behind D.C. United. There's four other teams Yeah, but Inter -Miami, uh, in between the two of them. Look, our friend Mark McClure uh, on uh, Twitter, he pointed this out. Mark Max McClure once of, hired me at D.C. United. There you go. What, Max points in the East. Montreal 49 that they could potentially get. Uh, Charlotte 48. Inter 47. Okay? Top three teams right there. So Inter-Miami has... Inter their own destiny in their own hands. It's very doable, Seb. As much as you hate Miami, and you hate, it's you and Sasha Kleshen hate Miami like no other. Look, you two it, are the biggest Miami haters. I, love, I can't I wait love for Messi people. to sing it in your face. I love people who see games in hand and just automatically, plus three, plus three, plus three, plus three, for a team that's 14th in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, because whatever. of Messi, they're 14th in Have the Eastern Conference. Way. Have it your way. All right, from the bad, let's go to the ugly. 
Herc. And this is something that I, I did not expect to be ugly. LAFC against the Philadelphia Union. A rematch of an incredible MLS Cup from a year ago of the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals. Not only does it end in a scoreless draw, Herc, it ends in a scoreless draw with zero shots on goal between the two teams over 90 minutes. Come on. I mean, this game couldn't have been at least a little bit more exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. Listen, LAFC was dominated in possession. It was like 33% possession for them, right? But you expected that because Ilya Sanchez was out, Carlos Vela was out, uh, mm-hmm. Palencia was out, Dennis, Denny Boanga was out. They had a bunch of players who were being rested for the Campeones Cup, okay? Didn't expect that from Philly. You know, this is a Philly team you would have expected to take advantage, especially at home, of an LAFC team that's looking past them, almost disrespecting them, if you will. Am I surprised they tied? No, I believe it's the sixth time they've tied in general. In the last six times they've played, even the MLS Cup ended up as a draw, if you will, in regulation time, so I'm not surprised. But I am surprised with how ugly it was, no shots on goal. Yes, very, very ugly. I I think you're right. When you see uh, LAFC... You know, lineup that doesn't have Carlos Vela, doesn't have Denis Bawanga in it. You know, it's not going to be the best version of LAFC. I just these two teams have given us such great games over the years. I thought we might uh, might get something better. Also worth mentioning in the Ali, the two teams Herc, that have now officially been eliminated from MLS Cup playoff contention. And there's only two of them: Toronto FC and the Colorado Rapids. A couple teams that you've played for. How about that? Yeah. What do you mean? Made the playoffs when I was with them. <laughs> sad days, sad days. What do you want me to do, Seb? You're going to blame you. your organization. All right, hey, Cocky. I, hey, I'm saying, man, you got some You got some friends. You, you have friends who need help, Herc. That's, that's what we should be saying here. All my friends need help. <laughs> All right, let's move on, shall we, here on this edition of Football Americas presented by Expedia. And let's make some calls here, because we got a big game Wednesday night out there in Los Angeles. LAFC, who did rest some players uh, over the weekend in their scoreless draw against Philly, taking on Tigres in the Campeones Cup, the battle between the winners of Liga Mekis and Major League Soccer's playoffs. It's going to be Wednesday night, I think, 8 o'clock start out there local time, right? So it'll be about 11 on the East Coast. So I don't know what time we're going to be going live, but it'll be very, very late, Herc. Yes. Tigres couldn't rest as many players, huh? They had a, a Clásico Regio, which we're going to show you the highlights of in just a second. So who you got winning this thing? Uh, I am going with Tigres. It's not because I think Tigres is a better team, even though they are a better team than LAFC, let's be honest. You um, can say it. You can say it. No, no, no. Well, I'm thinking out loud. They're a better team than, L- than LAFC, and they didn't have the luxury of resting players. They actually went all in because they played against their bitter rivals, Rayados, at home, who they dismantled, and we'll get into that in a second. But I'm not touching LAFC. LAFC hasn't proven... They're worthy enough. I didn't even check the line. I don't even know if there is a line. I don't care what the odds are, what the line is. I'm not touching LAFC. This goes back to 2018. I think that was the year they played the Seattle Sounders at home and bottled a home Western Conference final against them. It goes back to the... 2019. Yes. yes. And then it goes back to the 2020, you know, Champions, uh, CONCACAF Champions League, where they dismantled so many different Mexican teams and faced... Uh, Tigres, albeit in Orlando, in a neutral site, and blew a lead against Tigres to to lose that final. It goes beyond the Leon final, where they were unrecognizable. It goes beyond the League's Cup game they played against Monterrey and how they bottled that lead. It goes beyond, even also, by the way, Mm -hmm. you can make a case for MLS Cup. I know they won it, but you can make a case for MLS Cup. They They bottled bottled it it as well at home against Philly, a team that's notoriously uh, defensive, a team that pretty much if you – who played better that game, it was Philly. They ended up winning, so congratulations to LAFC. But I don't feel comfortable in a big game when the lights are on putting the money on LAFC. So I'm going to go with the tried and tested, which is Degas, who, by the way, can be the first team in this competition to win it twice. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a trust thing with LAFC. You know, you watch this team, not just last season, but even the up and downs of this year, and and I'm not sure. Obviously, they had a focus on this game. The lineup they put out against Philadelphia tells you that. The question here is, Herc, how important is this to Tigres? And you'll know this well, because I know you were on ESPN Deportes earlier today with your show, Aura Nunca. 
Like, how big a deal will this be to Tigres? Because they have a—they're in the middle of a very important part of their schedule as well. Will they? Will they go all in here? They won't necessarily go all in, but they have the luxury of having Mazatlan next at the weekend, okay. and that's an easier play than if it were, say, an America or a Monterrey or one of those teams up there. So it helps that they dismantled. Rayados at home and started resting some players, if you will, like the 65th, 70-minute mark. Um, but it's not even about that, Seb. I do have trust in some of the younger players, some of the second-class players, if you will, that Tigres will play. I mean, Marcelo Flores may get a run here. He may do mm. something important. Diego Linus is coming off a goal for Tigres in a Clásico Regio, his first goal in a Tigres jersey. You've got players like Sebastián Córdoba who are working their way back into fitness. You've got some real young, hungry players who are getting an opportunity here. I'm telling you, it's not a given for LAFC. All right, so LAFC uh, against Tigres then Wednesday night in Los Angeles, uh, and we will be in LA to cover it as well. Carabao Cup coming up on ESPN Plus this week. Newcastle United and Manchester City Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific. The Carabao Cup continues and moves into the third round here on ESPN+. Don't miss a single minute of the action. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Speaking of El Clásico Regio Montano Rayados and Tigres. Meeting at El Volcan, five minutes in. Nahuel Guzman with one of many big saves hurt in the first half. Yeah, massive save. Big paw right there to keep the game going 0 0. 13 minutes in. Rayados on the attack. Maxi Mesa gets in behind. Another big save, Nahuel Guzman. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, holding my breath on this play. I thought it was done for Maxi Mesa, one of the better players in Liga Mekis. That's a good shot, ridiculous save. Ensuing corner kick for Rayados. Guess what? Nahuel, again, denying Luis Romo. Yeah, you thought Romo was going to go back post. So did Nahuel. He kind of reacted late. Look at this. He's looking to his right, and it comes to his left. Big paw. So in a Clásico, when you don't score, it usually comes back to bite you. 28 minutes, Sebastián Córdoba, André Pierre Gignac, 1-0 Tigres. Córdoba, back in the lineup. Guess who's the benefactor right there? APG 10, André Pierre Gignac. Just about getting the goal there. Second half, Rayados trying to play out of the back, and it goes, and I mean this, horribly wrong. Omar Govea, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't, I have no idea, but Sebastian Cordoba will take that all day. Penalty kick for APG 10. He scores, and as you see, now the all-time leading scorer, Andre Pierre Gignac, in Clásico Regio, Sergio Canales on the bench, upset 71st minute, Tigres going for a third, Quiñones to Diego Linus, good finish here. That's his first goal for Tigres, that's a, that's a way to endear yourself to the fans, it's a good shot, look at the little spin right there, he'll take that, Diego Linus' his first goal for Tigres. 3-0 the final score there as Tigres beats Rayados, look at Happy Herc over there. Come on, uh, Your Tigres destroying their arch rivals. Uh, what do you think is the lead here? Is it good Tigres or bad Rayados? What should we be focusing on here? Obviously good Tigres. They're the defending champions. I don't think you can look past I figured that Tigres. would be your focus. No, but it's the truth, man. Because, listen, we could sit here and talk about what Rayados did not do. But you got to talk about what Tigres did do. Nahuel Guzman came up big when he needed to to keep his team 0-0 in that league. The big players showing up. Sebastián Córdoba, who's the MVP of last season's Liguilla, uh, coming on... I mean, he's finally healthy, coming on, playing this game, having a, a good act, if you will. An assist in the first goal, causes the penalty kick in the second. And then Andre Perjignac. I mean, <laughs> the alpha, the omega, the before and after mm. of Tigres. Uh, one of the best players in the history of the league. The all-time leading goal scorer now in this Clásico with so many big names to it. But then we also have to focus on Monterrey. And this is where I do think you're right. Like, Monterrey... 
I believe this was the fourth game in the last 19 that has gone over the two and a half, okay, goals, the over two and a half goals marker. It's usually a low scoring game because both teams treat it as a final, because it's intense, because they're calculated, etc., etc. I didn't get that sense from Monterrey. I didn't get the sense that they were playing a final. You looked and it was minute 63. Tan Ortiz's team, Monterrey, are down two goals. The richest roster in Liga Mekis, one of the richest rosters in, in Latin America, is down two goals. And they take off two of the biggest signings, not of Monterrey, but in Liga MX. They take out Sergio Canales, who's their big signing from Spain, from Betis, who's on the Spanish national team. And they take out Tecatito Corona. Both of your playmakers are out with 30 minutes to go. They wave the white flag. Mm. Can I ask you, who's starting up top for Rayados? It was, it was Cortizo and Canales? Yes. Like, neither of those guys is a striker. What is Dan Ortiz doing there? He doesn't like Funes Mori, and I guess Funes Mori's had some injury issues, but he's, he was going to trade Funes Mori to Pumas. That was the word on the street uh, early this season, before this season, during League's Cup, when there was still that, that chance to trade players or to work for players, sign new players. He has no confidence in Funes Mori. And listen, right now, I'd be wondering if Tata Noriega has confidence in Dan Ortiz because... That was a bold move. It was a bold strategy to go out with Cortizo, who's been doing fine, and Sergio Canales, who's your big playmaker, I guess, but if you want. But that's other positions. But that's right? not, well, he's not. He's he's a forward, but he's not a nine. He's yeah. a playmaker. He has the ability to score goals. I would argue that his ability is more playmaking than scoring goals. The goals that he does have, I think three of them are off penalty kicks. But it was not like we've seen Rayados before, I'll tell you that. You know what? And I texted you this during the game. It felt like an America flashback. I mean, that's what you get for, for hiring Tan Ortiz. If you remember the second leg of the semifinals of the playoffs, when America lose to Chivas, they lose. They go out needing a goal with Henry Martin, Cabecita, Diego Valdez, Alejandro Sendejas, all on the bench. Roger Martinez was the best America hope for a goal. And to your point, it was. It was Canales on the bench. It was Tecatito on the bench. Late in this game, it was Maxi Mesa on the bench. He came off, I think, in the 70th minute. So, I mean, it's a repeat. He's just too conservative. And and I don't know, Herc, this is this is a guy who I think is is in real serious trouble. Because they, if you look at, if you go back to basically the League's Cup quarterfinal against LAFC, which they come back and win 3-2, but they were down 2-0 with 20 minutes left yeah. in that game. They've lost five of seven. Now, losing five of seven for a club like Rayados, you will know. I mean, that, that's hot seat material, right? I mean, Victor Manuel Bucetich, for having a winning season, a record-setting season, got fired. He got let go because they weren't offensive enough. They weren't proactive enough. And he was winning. So you could only imagine what would happen to Tano Ortiz if he keeps going down this road. I will say this in Tano's defense. First, America Chivas... Alvaro Fidalgo doesn't get red carded. We're not talking about who's on the bench. We're not talking about, you know, what he didn't deploy. That's a reality. And also, they've been injured. For, for as star-studded as that roster is, mm -hmm. they've had some massive injuries this season to important, important players. I mean, Germán Berterrame is one of the better players on this continent, mm -hmm. and he got injured in Portland on that turf. You know, uh, Aguirre, he got injured. It, the list just goes on and on of who they don't have available. So he has that to his credit right now that it's not necessarily, one, his team, because he just got there, and two, as far as making other moves, and two, he's not had players available. There you have it. Uh, Rayados, big losers against Tigres, 3-0 at El Volcán in the Clásico Regio Montano. Some good goals in that game. I don't know if there's any Puskas nominees, though. We did, Herc, have two Puskas nominees from our neck of the woods as the 11 finalists for the best goal of not the year. The, the window is actually December of 2022 through August of 2023. Here's one of them from Liga Mekis Atlas. Oh no, against my beloved Club America back in February. And that's Brian Huevo Lozano. A banger. I mean, look at the height. Look at the knuckle, it's barely spinning. Ridiculous distance. Look from the angle from where he hits it, the velocity, it's a straight banger. The uh, Uruguayan there, getting Liga Mekis' entry into the Puskas finalists. 
And how about from the Open Cup? FC Cincinnati against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. This was the quarterfinals. Alvaro Barreal in the 3-1 win for FC Cincinnati. Yeah, Alvaro Barreal, who's getting a lot of looks from the Argentine national team right now. Lots of talk about him going abroad. It's uh, technically impeccable the way he strikes. It's a plan that's from the uh, the Mm -hmm. training ground. The set piece with Lucho Acosta. It's very well taken. I mean, what's the question here? Who's the better goal? Is that what you're trying to ask? Yeah, let's pretend this is the qualifiers, right? So we can only send one from our region. Who are you sending? Huevo Lozano or Alvaro Barreal? Listen, man. Uh, the Brian Lozano goal, the Huevo Lozano goal, is unlike many goals you will see, just in the pure audacity of where to strike that from. Look at the distance and what he does. This is a beautiful goal right here by uh, Barreal. But you've seen some goals like this. You've seen people try this. You don't see this every day with Huevo Lozano. You don't see that type of technique. You don't see that type of strike from that distance with that velocity. Like Huevo Lozano's from somebody who prided themselves on the way they struck the ball is so just difficult. The degree of difficulty from that you, angle, that You think that the degree distance. of difficulty is more on Lozano than Barreal hitting a left-footed volley out of the air off a corner kick? Absolute, I would have thought that was, that was a higher degree Seb. of difficulty. Absolutely. Look at the distance of where he's from. To strike that ball going across the grain, hit it with the laces, mm-hmm. and to get that type of velocity and dip from that distance and that angle, just to sure audacity to try it. I mean, the ball comes up. For Barreal, like it's come up for many players in that position, you're going to try it 10 times out of 10. You're going to try it. But from where Huevo Lozano is, how many players actually try that? Listen, man, the the degree of difficulty on that goal is unlike Mm -hmm. many goals you will see. I I still to this day think it's one of the better goals I've seen uh, in the last year, if not the best goal I've seen. Memo Choa would have saved it. I can't vote for something against Club America. I'm going Open Cup. You know I love the Open Cup. Alvaro Barreal, he gets my vote for the... uh, for the better Puskas nominee. No? 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 I'm hating on Memo. I'm not asking the question. We've already done our hating on Memo segment for the month, haven't we? I love Memo. I just, you know. Yeah, right. Sounds like it. All right, uh, we will be back again, not Thursday this week, on Wednesday, late night Wednesday, after the conclusion of the Campeones Cup between LAFC and Tigres. We will, of course, also be covering the Open Cup from Fort Lauderdale between Inter-Miami and the Houston Dynamo. Herc, before we get out of here, show the good folks what you're wearing. Oh, the good folks at Phoenix. Phoenix Rising sent me some gear. Uh, what you got, your Esquite jersey on? I, I got my, my corn jersey here from the uh, Indy 11 folks. I think they're going to be wearing it this weekend in USL action. So there you go. All right, he's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. Thanks for watching. We will see you on Wednesday night after the Campeones Cup between LAFC and Tigres in Los Angeles.